Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. If you have your Bibles today, our, our teaching text is going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, like Lauren said, we've been a little under the weather this week. Uh, no fevers, so I think we're good there. Just, you know, tis the season, allergies and whatnot. So you have to bear with me. Using the handheld, so if I cough, you know, I can get out of here. And you won't hear that. <laughs> we uh, we got uh, uh, pictures. Eddie Lee had pictures recently with the pre K, not preschool, pre-K, right? She starts kindergarten next year. And uh, we got her all dressed up, looking cute. She went and she had her pictures. And then a couple, few days later, we get the proofs. And they're like, here's the proofs. You know, you can spend money and buy these pictures. And we got the pictures. And the outfit we sent her in was adorable. The pictures turned out great. But they included a second set of proofs. And that was these. All right, absolutely adorable. Eat your heart out, right? But uh, they have my five-year-old in a cap and gown because she's graduating from pre-kindergarten to kindergarten. Now, this is great, all right? Like, take my money. But at the end of the day, this, I was like, that's kind of, I mean, she's not graduating high school, okay? She's going from pre, she's starting school, but they've got her in a cap and gown. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, let's just be real, okay? Like, I love it. I love it. But it's a little bit ridiculous. It's, and, but there's this sense of, like, parents, the idea of their kids moving from pre-kindergarten to kindergarten is this graduating, it's this progress idea. And you know what? I've seen the pictures. I know they do it again in kindergarten when they go to first grade, and then they do it in fifth grade. I, I don't know if they do it in eighth grade. That seems, that, that, at that point, they're too cool for those pictures. Okay, so, so there's this sense, but the, it all kind of comes around this idea of progress, right? Like we're moving from one grade to the next, and we measure that. We measure that by like, you know, testing, which you can argue about whether that's good or bad, but we measure it through grades, and, and if you are 
um, comprehending and grasping what you're being taught. You move on to the next grade. So there's this sense of like life is kind of about this progress. And the truth is that's not just for schooling. It's in every area of life. I mean, life is about progress. A fulfilled life is a life that is progressing. It's moving on. It's grow- and when you're, when you're young, you grow up, you get bigger. When you're a little older, you grow up, you get wider, right? It's, it's a part of the process. You can laugh. That was a joke. Okay. Right. <laughs> so there's this, but there's this sense of life is always moving on. In fact, the a repeated action without progress is the nature of addiction, right? Because what we want in life is we want to move on. We see it in our careers, right? We have a chance to, to climb the ladder. Maybe we move to a different city to take a different job position, or maybe there's a chance to change careers, to move up. To, and we, we measure that by, by our title changing or our pay increasing. And there's a sense of like, we feel accomplished. It's a good thing. We feel accomplished as we move along, as we progress. When maybe it's in relationships, you start out single, you begin dating, you, you know, you fall in love, you get married, maybe have some kids, you get older, you retire and move to Florida. There's this sense of like, we see this life progressing. There's this sense of that we have these pathways that are kind of laid out for us that we follow. And we know that we are progressing as we move along these pathways, as we get to the next grade level, as we get the next title, as we get the next stage in relationships. But how do we know if we're growing spiritually? Like if ultimately that's what matters, how do we know if we're growing spiritually? How do we measure it? Like we do in all these other things, right? And I had a, when we first started planting Revive, I had a leader kind of challenge me on this. He's asking me, how do you know if your church has been successful? And at this point in time, this was like, I don't 2015, 14, there was kind of this age of the seeker church, the mega church, and churches were growing, and there's, a, you know, a handful of pastors who were big and famous, and, and the, the question was, how do you measure a successful church? Because those, even though they were popular, were the outlier. And the truth is, the number of people going to your church was not a way to measure how successful your church was going, right? You can be a big church with lots of people and still be unhealthy. Many of those leaders were, have come out now and they've been bullies and abusive in their leadership. Some of them, are, there's churches in the, the, hundreds, the tens of thousands of people, and they never have sound teaching. It's, it's what the Bible calls the tickling of ears. People just hear what they want to. You know, Life is good. Follow Jesus, and you'll get rich. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. Right? They, they give this false gospel. The truth is size doesn't matter. I've been to small churches that were just as unhealthy. People sitting in the pews, going to church every Sunday, but they don't have the joy of Christ anywhere in them. So, so how do we measure that we've grown, grown spiritually? The, that was the question he, that that leader asked me. If, if, how do you measure the health of your church? I think it has to do with the people growing spiritually, but how do you measure that? Is it how much money you give? How much time you spend? How, much, how many ways you serve? Are you filling a bunch of different ministry roles? Are you greeting at the door or fixing the coffee, singing, praying? Is it, is it how much you're doing at church? Is it how many Sundays a month you attend? I think the average now is if you go to church, if somebody goes to church two times a month, they consider themselves a 
regular attender. So if you go to three strength Sundays in the year, are you, uh, are you growing spiritually? Is it how many weeks you've been to life group? We have all these different ways that you can be involved. Is it, is it how much you pray and read your Bible? How do we measure that we are growing spiritually? All those things are really important. Like we should do all of those things. You should serve. You should worship. You should attend. You should, those things are important. But are they what make us grow? Are they how we measure our growth? Because the truth is, you can do things for God, and you cannot be transformed into like God. Doing things for God is not the same as becoming like Him. I spent the first uh, semester of my collegiate career in this situation. I was uh, at a Bible school. It was the first time in my life where I was around people my age who loved Jesus like I did. And it was like Bible Jesus stuff everywhere. They had chapels that you could go to twice a week. You were only required to go to like two-thirds of them, maybe half of them. I went to every single one. All right. They had school-sponsored worship nights. I was at every single one. We started a Bible study in the lobby of my dorm. Like, like if it was a Jesus thing, I did it. I, I was going 100% just doing absolutely everything. And then I had this breaking moment at a church service where God said, you're not going to earn my love. You can do all of these things, but that doesn't make me love you any more or any less. And my relationship with Christ became a true relationship. And I let off the pedal a little bit. I didn't go to every chapel. I didn't attend every worship night. I didn't, and a lot of people thought I was backsliding, but the truth was I had never been in more in love with Christ than I was in that moment. And so there's this sense of we can't just look at the things we're doing and that being evidence of how of us growing spiritually. And chances are you've met that grumpy old person who has been in church every Sunday for the last 40 years and there's no joy of Christ in them anywhere, right? Going to church and doing the things is not what is not how we measure spiritual maturity. Jesus said, "If you love me, you will keep my commands. We also see Jesus define the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The gospel, this last week in our series, it revives us and it renews us by giving us meaningful progress. And the way that we measure this spiritual growth is by looking at how we progress in love. That's how we measure our spiritual growth. It's how we are loving. The way you know you are growing spiritually is because you are growing in love. So when you're talking about love, especially when we're looking at scripture and and love in the Bible, there are an infinite number of directions we could go but I've got to limit this thing to, you know, 30, 40 minutes-ish, okay? And so we can't talk about every single aspect of love because here's the deal. Cover to cover, the Bible is about the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's all these different directions we can go. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a, a book on the types of love, right? And he unpacks the different types of love in the Bible. There's storge, which is this natural affection, 
affection. There's uh, philia, which is this, this brotherly love or friendship love. There's the eros, which is a romantic or sexual love. There's the agape, which is this selfless, unconditional love. And he unpacks these four types of love and looks at them all throughout the Bible. But I don't want to talk about the types of love this morning. Jesus, he's talking, he talks about the tax collectors and how they love their own. He talks about the kingdom love or Christian love, which is loving your enemies, this selfless love. It's this nature of love. But I don't want to talk about the nature of love or the types of love this morning because I want us to be able to talk about it in the sense of growing and progressing in love. So what I want to do is I want to highlight the the degrees or the stages of love. And this comes from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. All right, this is really old Catholic monk. All right, and he wrote this devotional book that's really thick, very wordy, hard to comprehend. Um, in fact, I haven't read it in its entirety. Okay, it's it's hard to read. I've skimmed it, and I, uh, what what turned me on to this book was I heard a talk by John Tyson where he kind of unpacked this book and just like a part of his message, and he used he broke it that the stages down as in me, my, you, and us. And I think that can be helpful. So we're going to kind of use that, but I'm going to focus on St. Bernard of Clairvaux's work, right? The degrees, the book title is On the Love of God. He talks about moving through these degrees, these stages of love. The first one is love of self for self's sake. The second one is love of God for self's sake. Then we have love of God for God's sake, which sounds the holiest, but the last one is actually love of self for God's sake. And we're going to unpack each of these. Before we get there, I want to read our text and where we're going to kind of jump out of for all these different things. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to, it's, a, it's a, lot, a lot of verses, but I think it's important and they're strong. So we're going to start with verse 7 and read through verse 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that he, that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we love. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this love is not some abstract thing that we can't know about, but that we can know you who is perfect in love, and you make that love perfect in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this first stage is this me stage, right? It's this love of self for self's sake. This is the, the selfish, selfish love. 2 Timothy 3.2 says this, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. He goes on to list all kinds of horrible sins and things that people are doing, and they all stem out of this idea of people having an excessive love of self. In this book that we're talking about, St. Bernard says that, The selfish love can burst the banks of self-control and flood the field of self-indulgence. This love of ourselves becomes too lavish. It will overflow its natural boundaries through excessive love of pleasure. We become slaves to the soul's enemy of lust and desire. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. You do you, for those Parks and Recs fans, all right? Treat yourself, all right? This is a sense of, this is kind of the, the, the idea of the age, right? We live in a culture that is just seeking pleasure and entertainment 24-7. And this is the culture and the age that we live in, this idea that the, if it makes you feel good, you do it. You're going to do you. It's this selfish love. It's this, this love of self, this pursuit of desires, lust, pleasure that overcomes us we become we become self-obsessed with we're, we're concerned with only our self-image or self-gratification self-preservation self-preservation and self-concern and these things are things that one, one commentary says that love requires others right and so this this theologian says that all sin can be defined as love collapsed in on itself that what every sin that we find ourselves in first starts with the sense of pride and love of self. We have to be willing to let go of that. But the thing is, I'm not telling you that you should hate yourself. I'm not saying that. What I want you to do is I want us to have a healthy view of self. But the problem is when our self-esteem depends on us, that's when we become obsessed with us. That's when we become so self-obsessed that it doesn't matter. We're either, we're either really bad or we're really good. And we, every day, Tim Keller says it like this, every day we wake up in the courtroom. The problem with self-esteem, whether it be high or low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. If you're doing good, you're full of pride. If you're doing bad, you're full of despair. Every day it depends on us to build ourselves up or we tear ourselves down. Every day we sit in the mirror and we try to tell ourselves we're either good enough or bad enough. And this is no way to live, but it is what our culture tells us to pursue. Verse, four, verse 18 in our text today says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in, our, in love. And our love 
It's the self-love. We don't have a reference point. The only reference point we have for love is our self. And so if we, if we have not done enough or we're not good enough, we know we're really bad. Or if we have a high moment or, or, or we've done something really good, we think we're, we're doing great. So we're deeply controlled by fear. We are afraid of being seen for who we really are. We end up putting on these masks and these false selves, these false appearances, because we, want, we, we don't have a reference point for what's good. And so everything depends on our circumstances and how other people see us. And this is why the gospel is such incredible news. We get the verdict before the performance. We don't have to rely on ourselves to be good enough. We can trust what God has done in, uh, for us in the person of Jesus Christ, our risen king. We don't have to rely on self-love. We get to rely on the love of God. We get to trade in pride and selfishness for wonder and worship. This is the good news. This is the gospel because we don't are no longer is our love about self and our pursuit of self, but it's about God. And this transitioned us from this, this me focus, this, this love of self for self's sake into this love of God for self's sake. This is the my part of this love progress. Now our reference point, instead of being us, is not us, but it's God. He is our reference point of love, but we still think about us a lot, right? This is the this is my God, my Savior, my Deliverer. That's this idea of it, which is true. So I don't want you to think that I'm saying this is bad. Okay, this is this is it's a, it's the next stage. This happens when we, we first surrender our life to Christ. We're blown away by the the uh, joy of our salvation. So it's easy to think this is bad. It's not. It's just. Young. This is how we feel when we're first saved. It's the good news. Jesus has died for my sins. This is when fear has left our body. We're no longer asking those questions of, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Have I done enough? The answer to all that is yes, because Jesus has died for me. Now that is the good news. This gives us meaning. This gives us purpose in our life. I like how Tyson illustrates this. He says, for us to have meaning, we have to zoom in so close to who we are. But the gospel allows us to find freedom of that. We think about our lives and like, like if we think about billions of years from now, nobody's going to care that you existed. We have to zoom in so close to who we are to find meaning. We think about just the, the stars. There's like billions of stars and billions of galaxies, and we're just this little blip. And in millions of years from now, hundreds of thousands of years from now, nobody's going to care that you ever existed unless there's no meaning, unless your friend created those stars unless your friend created the universe. You have been given a calling in Christ. You have been, God knows you. He's determined the time and place that in advance that you should be alive. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He has set aside good works for you. You are a part of his master story. You have a role to play. All we have to do is obey our life into his purpose for us. This is the good news of the gospel. This is how we move from self-love and self being the reference to God being the reference. And this is overwhelming. This is incredible. This is passionate because Jesus has saved us. He gives us meaning. He gives us purpose. 
but it's still focused on me, my God, my salvation, my deliverer, my defender. He gives me my purpose. He answers my prayers. He meets my needs, cares for my family, moves in my church, heals my pain, comforts my heart. It's all about my and the things that God has done for me. It's all about me, but it's for God's sake. There's nothing wrong with this. It's the natural mindset when we've been delivered from death to life. In fact, the Psalms write about this. They say that they praise the Lord, oh my soul, he is my God, he is my redeemer. You're experiencing the joy of your salvation. The problem is when we stay here for all of our spiritual life. Just like I'm trying to teach my two-year-old that the world doesn't revolve around her. All right, there comes, there comes a point where we have to move, move in this thing. It's not bad. Like, I don't look at her and think, man, you are so bad for think, thinking the world revolves around you. She's two. Her whole life, she's been hungry. Here's some food. She needs a diaper change. Let me take care of that. Oh, you're thirsty? Here's something to drink. Her whole life, she's been taken care, care of. Of course, she thinks the world revolves around her. The problem is now she screams until she gets her way. And a two-year-old, it's expected, right? And a 32-year-old, it's a problem, <laughs> right? And so there's this, this same thing that, like, it's not bad to be at this stage in the love process where you're blown away and you're, you love God for self's sake. That's okay, but the problem is we have to progress. We have to get out of this selfish love, this selfish love centered on God into love of God for God's sake, right? This is the you part of the, and this is, it sounds like the holiest one, all right? It really does, but we're going to get to why it's not. First, the verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. It's now centered on God. He is the, the, the reason, he's our reference for love, and he is our focus of our love. This is when we're so caught up into who God is, we forget about ourselves, We talked at the beginning of this series about Psalm 63. I want to read verses 1 through 5 again. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the riches of, like with the riches of food. With singing my singing lips, my mouth will praise you. This is that stage where we have full satisfaction in God because of who God is. It has nothing to do with self. There, there, I've had a, a moments in my life where I've been uh, in a prayer room. Uh, There's a time at a youth camp. There's even been times where I've been here in church when it's just like, I just feel this presence and this glory of who God is. And I just have to like make this sound like, like God, you are near, you are good. I'm so satisfied in you. And I had this, this thought process, right? I love barbecue, Okay. My dad has this green egg and he will, he will smoke some meat and like smoke it for like 
12 hours. He, he's up all night, all right? He's up all night, and he's got this meat seasoned with all this different stuff, and he smokes it on the green egg. And, like, I will literally eat myself sick. It doesn't even matter what the sides are. Like, just give me some of that meat. There's this thing that we call the meat sweats, right? Where, like, you're just, you're just so full. You, you have to undo your belt. You're sitting there on the couch. You're sweating, and you make this noise, like, oh. Like, that is good. I am fully satisfied with this delicious brisket, right? And when we think about being in the presence of God, so few times do we have that same thought of, man, I'm just in the presence of the creator of the world. He has met with me. He has surrounded me. Man, you are good, God. This is that moment where we are fully satisfied in him as if we had this delicious food. His his love, his presence, who he is, is better than life itself. Satisfied as with the richest of foods, the richest of briskets. Okay, There's this moment where God is everything we could ever want, need, or imagine, and just him alone brings that satisfaction. It creates in us the spirit of longing, longing for more of him. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award me on that day. This is Paul writing, and you think, yeah, of course you're going to get that crown. You're Paul. You wrote, like, most of the New Testament. You've led all these people. The fruit that you have for the kingdom is unmatched. Of course God's going to have that crown for you. Of course that's the reward that awaits you. But he continues on. He says, not only me, but also to all who have longed for the appearing of Christ. Do you long for God? Do you long for him where he find your satisfaction in him alone? I remember when Lauren and I first started dating, right? She's from North Carolina. I'm from Georgia. We met in the middle at school. Uh, we started dating at the beginning of second semester. Turns out second semester has to end. We take all our tests. Now what do we do? Well, she goes to North Carolina, and I go to Georgia, right? We're, we're texting each other, but this is, this is like 2009, okay? So, like, the iPhone, the first iPhone had just been introduced. There was no such thing as FaceTime, all right? I, I, had, what, I had the phone that was called Chocolate. Do you guys remember? That? It was like a little, a little slide phone. I was texting with T9, where you'd have to hit the same button, all right? And so, but I would spend hours, like, and there was none of this unlimited stuff, right? You had, like, 100 text messages a month, and so I've got, using T9 and I'm texting Lauren because I long to see her. I can't wait till that moment where she travels to Georgia or I travel up to North Carolina and we get to see each other. There's this longing for her, the appearing of her. I can't wait to hold her hand and put my arm around her, kiss her. I just can't wait to have that moment where I can see her beautiful face again, right? This texting is just not, it's not, it's not getting, it's not getting the job done, okay? Like I long for her appearing, Do we long for God in that manner? Do we long for him that he would appear for us? We don't long for that. I used to have this bucket list, right? This bucket list of things I wanted to experience, and then Jesus could come back. Like, we're just going to be real. I wanted to get married and have sex. I wanted to travel. I wanted to drink espresso in Italy. I had all these things that I wanted to do before Jesus came back. (laughs) Sorry, Lauren. (laughs) 
I had all these things that I wanted to experience. Like there's these things like, like God, you're awesome. You're cool. I believe you're everything. But before you return, let me experience these things. But how that has changed when we find our fullest satisfaction in who he is. We long for his appearing. Paul said that to... Paul said that to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But the American church, we have guilty of switching these. To die is, or to live is gain and to die is Christ. We have this mindset of get all you can, experience all you can, do all you can, gain all this stuff in life, and when you die, you go to heaven. Like, not only is that bad theology, it's not how the Bible talks about being with Christ. It's not how the, the writers of Scripture lived their lives. When we get to this stage of our life, of, of love, we no longer want it to be about us. We love God for God's sake. We long for nothing more than our bridegroom. We long for nothing more than him. And that leads us to the next stage. Love of self for God's sake. This sounds backwards. Like, why are we back at the beginning of it? And to be honest, when I first kind of worked through this, it felt wrong. But to quote the Song of Songs, this is when we have this awareness that we are our beloveds and our beloved is ours. This is when we see ourselves the way our creator sees us, when we value ourselves because he says we have value, when we care about and respect ourselves because we are so wrapped up with the love of our creator. Verse 16 says that, and so we now, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Listen to that language. Living in God and God in us. It's this perfect union. It's this deep knowing, this deep love, this, that we're caught up in this beautiful relationship where nothing in the world matters except for us and our creator, God. Verse 17 continues on. This is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we will be like Jesus. This last phase phase where we love self for God's sake is where we are like Jesus. And so we think about that. We think about, well, what is Jesus like, right? Well, he, he, uh, served the needy. He, he, he listened to God. He followed all these things. So if we serve the needy and we read our Bible and we manage our sin, then we become like Christ. And that kind of becomes the whole goal. But that's not the context of this passage. I read the whole section because I wanted us to get the context. The context of this passage is about being in love. It's getting caught up in the love for God that allows us to do ministry. It allows us to live out of that. The serving the needy, the reading our Bible, managing our sins, all of that falls into place when we're so in love with Jesus. How was Jesus able to get through with his calling? How was he able to go throughout the world and complete his ministry? Well, if we go back to Matthew 3 before his ministry started, right, to go back to the quote from Keller earlier, it says, God the Father looks at Jesus and says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before he ever, he got the verdict 
before he ever had to do the performance, before he, was, had, before he had to, to feed the thousands, before he had to heal the paralytic, before the Pharisees tried to trap him, before one of his closest friends stabs him in the back, before the, the prayer in the garden, before the nails enter his hands and feet, before he cries out Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before all of that, his heavenly father looks at him and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, for the rest of his life, is free. He doesn't need the Pharisees. He doesn't need the praise of the crowd. He doesn't need the acceptance from the Pharisees. He's able to completely give his life away because he's so secure in who he is as the Son of God. During the Holy Week, leading up to Easter, Jesus kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. And if we go and we read that text from John 13, it says that Jesus knew that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his feet. Because he knew that he was from God and going back to God, he was able to be the perfect servant. Jesus was so secure in his love of the Father that he can give the entirety of himself away without suffering any loss. In Galatians Verse uh, chapter two, verse 20, Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can now be unified with him in the same way that Jesus in his humanity was unified with the father. We participate in the divine nature. This is how we break free from sin management, how we we live out of self-sacrifice because we have been crucified with Christ. We now have are able to live on mission. We are now able to love our enemy. We are now able to worship despite our, our circumstances. We are now able to live in holiness because we are united with Christ, so wrapped up in our love with him, that so secure in Christ that we can empty ourselves and never suffer loss. And though this is, this is self-love for God's sake, it is the most selfless love that exists because that self-love presents itself as being secure in Christ. And therefore, it is love that could completely be given away. I, uh, I am secure in my manhood, okay? I know that I am a man. So there are times when my daughters want to play that they can paint my fingernails and put makeup on my face and put a, one of those one of the feather things that you wear around your neck. Yeah, a bola. They could put that around me. They could put a crown on my head and dress me up like a princess. And we can sing Let It Go at the top of our lungs, right? And I can do all these really unmanly things because I know that I am participating with my daughters in something that they absolutely love and are passionate about. And that's actually more manly than anything else I can do because I'm a father participating with my daughters, right? And so in this moment where we're so secure in Christ, think about, think about the missionary, right? They, they love themselves so much because they have this love that is united with Christ, this self-love for God's sake, that they can leave behind all the security of being a citizen of a country. They can leave behind the support of being a part of a network. They can leave behind the 
the support of having money to live in the States and they can go to a country where they know nobody, there's no safety net, there's no protection, they could be martyred in their sleep. That doesn't sound like somebody that cares about themselves, but it's the most human thing they can do because they're so in love with who God is and all that he is that they're truly human. Even though it doesn't appear that way, we would say you're crazy for doing those things but they are living out of this selfless self-love for God's sake. It almost feels backwards, but they're so secure in who they are because they're so in awe of who Jesus is. Now, the truth is, these things don't really work in a spectrum. There are times where we maybe regress back to one stage of love and time where we get up to the, the fourth stage of love and and we kind of can bounce all over the place. And a lot of times we can look at ourselves and we say, man, you know what? I'm doing awful because I'm not where they are or I'm not at that stage. I'm not at that point. But the truth is we have to be self-aware for where we are and we have to be okay with where we are in this journey. If you try to skip a certain stage, you'll short circuit the whole thing. And we have to trust that God has a plan and realize that he is the one that carries us through these degrees of love. Verses 13 through 16 say this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God has given us his spirit and it's this Holy Spirit that guides us along this journey. If you, want to prog- if you want to progress in love, we have to realize that your only next step is prayer. It's seeking the Holy Spirit. It's asking for his anointing on your life that he would grow you and pull you along in this journey. You must ask that the Holy Spirit would fill you with the love of God and guide you into deeper love of him. And 16 said that and so now we know and rely on the love God has for us it is we relying on his love to increase our love it starts and ends with the triune God God forever and always he is our focus he is the one that guides us along this this these stages of love so self-love for self's sake God the love of God for self's sake the love of God for God's sake, and the love of self for God's sake. Where are you at? And are you asking the Holy Spirit to pull you along in this journey? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've shown us how to love. We thank you that you first loved us. I pray that we can be so wrapped up in your love for us that we can ignore all else that we'd be motivated to love others and serve others because of your love in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.